Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 5, if you're following along in your scripture. We've already begun looking at this section as, as Paul is transitioning, um, showing how we got where we are, that he's proclaiming all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None can save themselves. All are justified freely as a gift. Um, where do those things come from? Through, through covenant headship or federal headship. We're looking at this section between verses 12 and 21. Uh, we spent our time last time in verse 12. We'll look uh, mostly at verses 15 to 19 this week, and then we'll come back on the last sermon in this section and look at the, the role of the law, uh, looking back at 13 to 14 and then 20 and 21. But continuing our comparison and contrast this week. I want to pick up reading in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, in, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, work in us to love you, to love your word, to hear your word as your word. Apply it to our hearts. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit to love it and live in its light, to embrace the good news of your grace, 
whether we find ourselves experiencing tears of joy or tears of grief or somewhere in between, that we could look to you and lay ourselves at your feet and receive help and comfort in our time of need. So bless us, Lord. Bless the word as it goes forth. Accomplish all of your purpose. Sow seeds of grace in the gospel. Reap souls through conversion. Grow saints in grace. We know that not one bit of your word will return to you void. So we trust you for it. We ask for it. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The message of salvation is the story of two Adams. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. When the first, what the first Adam undid, the second Adam repairs. From, a, from an article in Table Talk, uh, author David Gibson. But bring up that pick again. There you have it. The whole Bible summed up in two men. Adam 1 and Adam 2. Or Adam and Christ. Two covenants, works and grace. Two heads of the human race. Adam and Christ. Two outcomes. Condemnation and justification. The whole plan of redemption. Planned before there was a molecule. Planned before the foundation of the earth. Worked out in time through these two covenant heads and two covenants. The covenants of works and of grace. The whole plan of redemption summed up in these two federal heads. Federal headship refers to the representation of a group united under a federation or a covenant. An example, the president may be seen as the federal head of this nation, representing and speaking on its behalf before the rest of the world. A covenant head or a federal head when we're speaking of, God, of salvation and covenantally is a divinely appointed head, a representative of the human race. And there's only ever two. The first man and the second man. The first Adam and the second Adam. Adam and Christ. And we'll see this played out and we've seen it a little bit already in this text. But Paul is ending his discussion of justification and he's carrying us deeper into his argument and, and, and in the second half of chapter 5 where he presents to us a comparison and a contrast between these two federal heads. We're either in Adam or in Christ. It's kind of the same thing you hear. You're either... There's only two groups of people on planet Earth, lost and saved. There's two groups of people on planet Earth, those in union with Adam and those in union with Christ because there's only two federal heads. 
To be in union with Christ or to be in union with Adam is in, to be connected to, included with, under the headship of either Adam of Christ. To be in oneness with the head's meditorial, mediatorial, redemptive, and personal achievements. We are all born in Adam. And we're reborn, Lord willing, in Christ. And my hope is that the testimony of everyone listening to me is that they've been reborn in Christ. Well, if you're new to Grace Church, we are studying through the book of Romans. That is our habit, to study through books. We have made it to chapter 5. We've seen Paul lay out his love in, for the Roman Christians and desire to come there and to impart spiritual gifts. He wanted to go there and preach the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. After that, he made the case that both Jew and Gentile are under sin, lost, need a Savior, can't save themselves. And then he began in chapter 3 expounding the doctrine of justification that we can be declared righteous on the basis of not ourselves, but one outside of ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to live, to die, to be raised, to reign and return for his people. And as I said, he's polishing off his, his discussion of justification. He's showing us how did all this happen? Where did all this uh, sin and condemnation come from and righteousness and justification? He's pointing us to the two, as I said, covenant heads, Adam and Christ. So this week we looked at, last time we looked at verse 12 and saw just two things. We were doing communion. We saw that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through that sin came in through the one man, Adam. And as I said, this week we'll look uh, more at 15 to 19, then we'll come back and wrap it up by looking at the role of the law, 20 and 21, 13 and, and 14. And so today the main point I want you to get as we look at these verses is that although Adam brought us, brought us sin, death, and condemnation, there is far more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. Superabounding, much more abundant grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm, I wasn't sure how to do this and whether to walk through it sequentially. What I chose to do is pick out the sections that talk about Adam and then compare that to the sections that talk about Christ. So we'll, we'll move around a little bit in the text, but we're going to compare and contrast these two covenant heads, Adam and Christ, as we move through. So first covenant head, first covenant representative. First point is Adam. He is the head of what we call the covenant of works in the garden. And if, you, if you've never read Thomas Watson, I've, I've got a quote by him to explain what that is. I would encourage you to read him and some of the other Puritans. But this comes from a body of divinity, if you're wondering what book. Thomas Watson says this, When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life or works, different, same way of saying that, with him, upon the condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of knowledge upon the pain of death. A specific command, a specific obligation, a specific promise, and obviously a specific threat there. The 1689 Baptist Confession goes right along with Westminster at this point. 
But it says this, God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by which he bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promising life upon the fulfilling and threatening death upon the breach of it and endued him with power and ability to keep it. So Adam being the first covenant head under that covenant of works with the obligation of pure and perfect obedience, knowing that the possibility is there to be confirmed in that state and bring his posterity into that state, never-ending life and blessing. But what did he do? How did Adam respond? Look at verse 12 again. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Adam brought sin and death into creation through his sin as he turned from loyalty to the only true and living God as he listened to the serpent and his counsel and chose to rebel against God's commandment to sin producing lack of conformity to and transgression of God's law. And then we saw last time he passed on that guilt and corruption to his, to his descendants and began to have children in his image. We talked about verse 12 last sermon, so I'm going to leave it there. I will leave it for you to come back and um, go back and listen to that if you missed it or uh, look at it in more in depth and ask any questions you might have. But Adam, through the one man, came in sin and death. Number two. Now look at verse 15. Look, what did, what did Adam accomplish? How did Adam respond to God's command and what does that mean to us? Watch this. If you're wondering if Adam is a representative head, if we sinned in him, which we'll talk more about later, right? If we're responsible under our covenant head, it says this. He's contrasting things, and it says in the middle of that, in verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Many died through one man's trespass. I'm going to come back to the parts about Christ in a minute. But I just want you to pull, just to see that. Many died. Who are the many? The many are the entire human race minus Christ. The only one who never sinned. The only one who was perfect. When it says, many died through the one man's uh, trespass. Died meaning inherited. We inherited both guilt and corruption from him. Original sin. Resulting in both spiritual death, which we said last week was immediate when he sinned. And culminating in physical death and judgment and hell if we stay in that condition. But look at the text again. Many died through one man's trespass, clearly showing him to be a representative there. Look in verse 16. Verse 16. Judgment, the middle of the verse. Judgment. There was judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Brackets to all. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation 
to all, condemnation to all through that one trespass in Adam. Again, he's clearly being pictured as a covenant representative. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Look at verse 17. Because. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Because of one man's trespass. Adam technically wasn't the first one to sin, was he? At least in the way the story is presented. Who was the first one to listen to the serpent and begin down that path? Eve. So then why does it say it's because of one man's sin and not one woman's sin? Because he was the covenant head. He was the representative. He was the one responsible He's where the buck stopped. Adam was responsible. He should have protected the garden. He should have protected Eve. He should have protected all creation. And as that covenant head, he had that responsibility, but he did not do that. He did not do that. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. I'm just highlighting these things so that you can see the depth of the bad news in Adam before we look at the, the, the height of the good news in Christ. Look at verse 18 in your Bible. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. One trespass. Sin. Used interchangeably. Stepping over the line of a specific command, not only just the law in his heart. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. So women, you're off the hook. Uh, no. Men here being used in the sense of mankind. All mankind. Condemnation to all through one trespass. Adam's trespass, the covenant representative of everyone in the covenant of works, in the garden. And you and I would have done no better. Think about it. Perfect creation. It was all very good. Including man. His environment's perfect. His heart is in a perfect situation. He has every advantage. God has been abundantly kind in giving him everything necessary for life and godliness. God did not cause him to choose sin. God doesn't tempt anyone to evil or cause them to go into evil. You cannot blame God for his sin or yours. We try to do that, don't we? Sometimes we're sort of sophisticated at how we do that. If you don't believe me, read James chapter 1. He's very clear. God doesn't tempt anyone to evil or cause anyone to sin. He is sovereign. He is in control. He's decreed all things that come to pass, yet without violating the will of the creature. He said about Judas, it would be better if you'd never been, he'd never been born. Why? Because he was responsible for his rebellion and would pay the price. 
Before we step back and blame Adam and Eve, we need some gospel humility to know that we would have done no better. Free creatures chose to rebel, and Adam took the whole race down with him as the covenant head. He began to have children in his own image, in his own situation, passing on that guilt and corruption to his descendants. He failed. And one trespass led to condemnation for all men and women and boys and girls. Look at verse 19. By one man's disobedience, the many, remember who the many are, were made sinners. <clears throat> Something I don't want you to miss here is the, this legal language going on here with courtroom language, with condemnation and justification. And so too here when it says made sinners. It's not talking about that through his, while it's true that he passes on guilt and corruption, what this is talking about is that now we were put into the, category, the legal category of sinner. Being made legally a sinner, put into the legal category of sinner. And listen, we've all proved it. <laughs> we've all proved it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've proved all this true by, with the expression of our guilt and corruption in our own lives. See, Adam fell as our covenant head, as our covenant representative, and we fell with him and in him into sin and death and condemnation. We, like him, became rebels at heart, lost, all needing a Savior and not able to save ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve condemnation. We all, in and of ourselves, in and of our first covenant representative, Adam, would have no hope at all. And God would have been just to leave it that way. He owes us nothing good to the extent that we experience anything good. It's grace and mercy. But Adam fell, and we fell with him. One man's trespass, we died. The result, sin right. For, uh, because of his sin, condemnation, death, all passed on. This is a bleak story. If there's only one Adam... We need some good news, don't we? Is there any? Is it in you? Are you your good news? Mike, are you your good news? Jan said no. Uh, <laughs> Gary, are you your good news? Do any of you think you're your good news? Do any of you think you're good enough that you can save yourself? It's good that Christ came. Do any of you have the attitude, well, if anybody's going to be saved, it's going to be me because I'm certainly better than. That's not evidence of grace. That's the P word we talked about in Sunday school, pride. 
God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But there is good news. Look back to verse 14. It says, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. We'll talk about that next time. But look at that last part of verse 14. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Who was a picture of the one who was to come in that he was the covenant head of the people. His sin is not a picture of the one who was to come but who he was and his responsibility. He was a type of the one who was to come. And the gospel promise starts right after the fall, doesn't it? When, when's, when's the first gospel? Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will come and will be bruised on his heel, but will crush the head of the serpent, will destroy his power, will destroy sin and death, will save His people. There's one coming that Adam was a type of that's going to reverse the curse and fix what Adam had broken and save God's people. Look, covenant head representative number two, Christ. Covenant head of the covenant, what we call the covenant of grace. Covenant of works, Adam failed, taking us all into that failure and condemnation and sin and death with him. Now Christ comes, and he is the head, the mediator of the covenant of grace. Again, 1689 Baptist Confession. Man, having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. Where Now watch this. Wherein, and these words are important wherein He freely offers unto sinners. Okay, we qualify, right? We're sinners. And so He freely offers unto us life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in Him that they might be saved and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life His Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. Praise the Lord that being lost in the covenant failure in Adam, God has another covenant head, Christ, who brings into effect the covenant of grace. Now look back in verse 15 and watch some really, really good stuff. But listen, see, we're bad about preaching the gospel these days without telling the bad news. And when we don't tell about sin and wrath and condemnation, then we don't set the gospel in its proper light. Have you ever been into a jewelry store looking at diamonds? Maybe you're about to get married and you're trying to figure out what diamond you want to give to your beloved. And one of the things they'll do before they lay the diamond out there, what do they do? They lay this black cloth out there. And then they put the diamond on it. And then what happens to all the sparkles and facets of that diamond? They shine forth in all their glory. It shows you what that, the, the, the nature of that, 
that gem. And so the gospel, we need that black backdrop of the bad news which makes the gospel make sense so that you know Jesus didn't necessarily come to heal your back or give you money or a Mercedes or a big house. or No, Jesus came to save you from your sin. He came to save sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the black backdrop that makes the diamond of the gospel shine forth in all of its glory. Look back at verse 15 now. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass. Now watch this. A little more. Just a bit more. No, much more. Have the grace of God and the free gift of grace by that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Much more abounding, amazing grace. Now look, I want you to see something. When you're studying your Bible, when you're reading your Bible, you want, and these things pop out to you, you might want to mark them. Because God's trying to say something to you. And remember we've talked about before, when He repeats something, it's for emphasis. Right? Like when you hear names said twice, that's, a, that's an emphasis. That was a, an emphasis of relationship. Lord, Lord would be a claim to a deep relationship with Christ. In, you see that third, in the ESV, the third and fourth words in verse 15, free gift. That's used five times in three verses. Free gift is repeated five times in three verses. You, you might be saying, you don't know what I've done. I mean, I hear you, but you don't know what I've done. I, there's no way I can be saved because I am so terrible, obviously. But no, 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 no. Paul says it's a free gift. It's not based on what you are. We know what you are. We see, you know, what we bring into salvation is our sin and need. Christ is the one who is the Savior. And Paul jumps right out of the box here and says, free gift. And he uses it five times in three verses, as we'll see as we move through them. But catch note of things like that. Don't just wash over it. You know, if, he have said, if God had used free gift tw two times in three verses, that would, be, that would be emphasis. But five times in three verses, he's trying to hammer something into our foreheads. That salvation in Christ is a free gift. It's because of an abounding grace. It's because of much more grace that we are saved and that word abounded means an abundance right much more than expected surprising amazing astounding grace why because listen we don't deserve it kids you don't deserve to be saved you're cute and you're precious on the outside but you 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 need a Savior just like all the rest of us do. All of us must turn and trust in Jesus. And we take that trust that's in our, we trust in ourselves. We repent of our sin and going our own way and trusting. We take that thing called trust and we place it over in Jesus. So that it's outside of me now. My hope's over in Him. He's the free gift. He's where the superabounding grace is found. And praise God that there's superabounding grace. Praise God that salvation is a free gift. 
Listen to me. Even the faith and repentance that He calls for is a gift from Him. Because the gospel finds us dead in trespasses and sins. And through the preaching of the gospel and God's call, His effectual call, the Spirit takes a person from death to life, spiritually speaking, so that their response then to the gospel when the Spirit's at work is faith and repentance. I've said this before, you know, baby's born and you, you spank it and it cries. That's clearing the lungs and that's a sign of life. Faith and repentance are signs of life. That God is giving this free gift to this person. This person who was given to Christ before the foundation of the world, whom Christ came to save and accomplished their redemption, is being applied by the Holy Spirit. If the many died, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And we'll see who those many are in a minute, but it's those in Christ under this new covenant head, if you want to put it that way. Look in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. We saw that a while ago. But now watch this. Here we go again. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Here we go with much more again. Much more. Death reigned. Death reigned. And judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift brings justification. The free gift is what brings justification. Remember, condemnation, justification, legal terms. Talk more about justification in a minute. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I wanted to get here first. You remember we said we talked more about the many. Who are the many? Look at this verse in verse 17. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So we didn't have to receive Adam and, and his failure. We were born in that. But by the work of His grace, then we repent and turn and receive. Look at this gift of righteousness. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So now remember, what is, our, what is justification? We're saying that the free gift brings us justification. We're taken from condemnation over into a status of justification. We're declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification, remember our definition. I hope you memorize this. Justification is a work of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins... And that's it, right? Just as if we've never sinned. Story over. 
No, no, no. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. How can he do that? It answers that. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to us. And what's the last part? And received by good works. No. And received by faith alone. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteousness in Christ only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Those who receive the abundance of grace in Christ and the free gift of righteousness in Christ reign in life through their covenant head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Much more, above and beyond. Death reigned through Adam, but life reigns through Christ. Grace reigns. The free gift of righteousness trumps Adam's failure and our failure so that we come into a saved status. Notice there, through one man. Notice the end of verse 17. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through whichever Savior they choose. All that matters is that you be sincere. It's not what it says, is it? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You may say that's narrow, and I would agree with you about that, but there's only ever been... Two covenant heads, one is Adam, one is Christ. There's only ever been one Son of God who was incarnate to fulfill all righteousness and to die to pay the sin of His people, and that's Jesus. There's only ever been one who was raised from the dead, and that is Christ. Through the one man, Christ Jesus. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation. Notice that. We're, again, we're still proving Adam was the covenant head of the entire human race. One trespass led to condemnation for all men, for everyone. So, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One act of righteousness. What was that? Jesus' life. Big picture, Jesus' life, right? That's the one act of righteousness. And then specifically we focus in on the cross where he died to pay the penalty for our sin and, and he drank that cup dry. He paid our debt and said at the end of that, it is finished. Justice and righteousness and mercy meet to reverse the curse, to pay the penalty that was promised in the garden. If you, if you eat of it, you shall die. The soul that sins shall die. And we're talking about physical and spiritual death. We're talking about condemnation. We're talking about hell. But Jesus took our curse upon himself on the cross. So he would free his people from the curse of sin and death and condemnation. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men who are in Christ. We saw that in verse 17, those who receive the abundance of grace. Not just automatic for everyone, but those who come to faith 
in Jesus. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so too, see the covenant heads placed in comparison here? So by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So remember, category sinner, category righteous, born in sin and deserving condemnation through Christ and being justified now legally righteous in Him. And notice it said earlier, the free gift of righteousness. Believer, do you see yourself as as righteous as Jesus is and was before the throne of God? Because that's your status. Sin pardoned and washed away, clothed in His righteousness, child of God now. So before the judgment bar of God, by God's work of grace in you, not because you earned it, but because you, you've trusted, repented and trusted Christ. Your hope is in Jesus now. Your trust is in Him. You've been cleansed and clothed so that before the bar of God you are as righteous as Christ is. Not missing one element. God would never declare you righteous if you were not righteous in His sight. Now, walking it out experientially, we're going to talk more about sanctification in chapter 6, but don't. we're doing justification first so you see what you be transformed into. You don't work at it as though you're earning it when you're rested in His grace. See, our life becomes an offering of love to God at that point. Verse 19, by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. The many who, verse 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Have you received this one man, Jesus? Is your hope for salvation in this one man, God, man, yes, Son of God, God and man, two natures, one person forever, this one Savior, this covenant head, is your hope in Jesus this morning for salvation? Maybe for the first time this morning. Or maybe just a renewal of the hope that you've had for many years in Jesus. But are you hoping in Christ and Christ alone? The Christ that came and lived under His own law and fulfilled all righteousness. Deserved only blessing. But as the Lamb of God pictured in all those sacrifices in the Old Testament... He went to the cross. He, he was sacrificed for His people. And He paid our sin debt. The Scripture says He died for our sins. He was buried. And He was raised the third day for our justification. Kids, you all know the verse. And adults, you hear it all the time because I say it all the time. In this way God loved the world. That's what it means, for God so loved the world. In this manner He loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, negative side, but have everlasting life. Because He took the black cloth that goes under the, the diamond. He took the condemnation. He drank that cup dry so that we might have His righteousness and life. Are you, do you see yourself as bad enough as need a Savior? And do you have hope enough to look to Jesus? Are you trusting in Him? If so, you have received the free gift of righteousness. You have been forgiven for all of your sins. You have been clothed in His righteousness. You have hope now as a child of God. 
The Spirit indwells and empowers you. The faith that God has given you, He will preserve so that you persevere and grow in it. You'll walk through many dark times on this earth and you'll feel like you're barely hanging on. But He's got you. I'm not asking you if you like everything. I'm asking you if your hope's in Jesus. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. He paid it all, right? We sing it. He paid it all. See, some, just a couple of points of application, and I I need to finish up. Some may cry, that's not fair to be counted a sinner because of Adam. I want you to be very careful how you use that word fair. You never want to step before God and say, God, be fair to me. I hope you never want that. Remember, you would have done no better, but in God's wisdom, he, he assigned two covenant heads. He's working out the plan of redemption. And he's graciously included you in it. If you're trusting in Christ, even if you're not, you're here to hear the good news of his gospel. And we call upon you to turn and trust in Christ. But I want you to be very careful because you have confirmed God's judgment with your life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? But number two, that knife cuts two ways. If you won't be represented by Adam, you can't be represented by Christ. Because imputation goes both ways. If you won't have that sin and status imputed to you, how can you then look to Jesus and have him earn it and impute it to you? If you refuse to be represented by the first Adam, you must forfeit being represented by the second. Because imputation is a reality with both covenant heads. Aside from all that, we all know that we deserve condemnation. Atheists know that they deserve condemnation. You know why? There are no atheists. Deep down, everybody knows there's a God and they're responsible to him. That's why their battle cry is, there is no God and I hate him. And I don't want you trusting him either. Yes, we were fallen in Adam. Number two. But see, the redeemed heart also cries, that's not fair. But not with fists clenched in anger. But with hands open in praise. And in wonder. See, if the gospel has really humbled us, our attitude is, what? Really? What? The spotless Son of God would die for my sin? Jesus would come to save me? This unworthy wretch? You mean he lived for me? You mean He died for me? You mean He was raised for me? You mean He's reigning for me and coming again for me and when He comes, I'll be like Him? you personalize the gospel at all or you just leave us this undeterminate mass? Read again about the high priest outfit. (laughs) All of the people are on His shoulders, on His heart. Graven on His hands, we sing. See, we know it's not fair. 
If you've been humbled by the gospel, you know you should be condemned. You should suffer wrath. You should be separate from God. When God was working in my heart and calling me to faith in Christ, I was scared to go to sleep because I was afraid I wouldn't wake up because I knew. I knew what I deserved. Until coming to faith in Christ and having that quailed. Conviction. What mercy. <laughs> if See, if you really get the gospel, that'll be your response. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind. And now, I, or the other thing we sing, and can it be that I should gain? <laughs> Woo! Amazing love. The good news. I'll end this part of it with verse 20. Look at it, and we'll talk about this more later. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more in Christ Jesus. So we started by saying the message of salvation is the story of two Adams. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Which Adam represents you this morning? Adam 1 and the failure and the sin and the condemnation in the garden or Adam 2, Christ, the second Adam. Choose Christ. Even if you don't understand it all. Because you know what? You'll never understand it all. Repent and trust Christ this morning so that you have this free gift of righteousness so that you can reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Choose Him and have eternal life. Choose Him and be set free from death, from condemnation from hopelessness and purposelessness. Choose Him. And you'll know if you do choose Him. It was because He chose you and worked that response in your heart. Remember our main point. Although Adam brought us into sin, death, and condemnation, there is far more grace in Christ Jesus than there is sin. In you, choose Him. To live is Christ. Because of Jesus. Amen. Lord, have mercy on us. I pray that some, if they're not in you, would leave mad rather than indifferent. It's okay. A lot of us got mad before we got humbled and got saved. So humble the self-righteous the proud, the ones who think they don't need a gospel, don't need a Savior, don't need Jesus. And give grace to those the gospel has humbled. We know that our trust in you is but a gift of your grace and evidence of you working in our lives, so we thank you. And we pray for all those around us who don't know you that they, might too, they too might come to faith in Christ.
But we trust that to you. But Lord, I pray especially for your saints this morning. Those who are your children. Refresh us and renew us in the gospel hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. In that your salvation is a free gift. And that we've been gifted righteousness. That Jesus has fully dealt with our sins. And clothed us in his righteousness. That we are righteous before your judgment, Lord. And therefore we have hope. We don't understand the mysteries of your providence in our life. Some of it is very confusing. But we know the resurrection proves the gospel true and gives us hope. So we cling to you, Lord Jesus. Trust in you, rest in you, hope in you. Encourage and strengthen our hearts. And use us as gospel light to those around us who don't know you. Save and sanctify your people. Bless us with the truth of your word. Help us to not forget the bad news and certainly not to forget the good news of our salvation in Christ. May we be different this week. Whether we're unbelievers today and come to faith or whether we are believers and are renewed in grace, Pray that we'd be more God-centered, more Christ-focused, more intentionally living to love you and follow you, Lord Jesus, because of your great love for us. Thank you for grace. Without it, we have no hope. But in Christ, we thank you that we have much more and we have superabounding grace. So we just rejoice in it and rest in it and trust in it and hope in it and pray that you'd be glorified in us. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you want to talk, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you don't think you need to know Jesus. If you're willing to talk about it, we're here to talk talk to you about it. If you're trusting in Christ, but you have struggles that you want to talk about, let us know. We want to minister to you. But right now we're pointing you to God's amazing grace in Christ, and that's what we're going to sing. So stand with me. We're going to close out with uh, hymn number 89, Amazing Grace.